You're listening to Women Making Waves. So next up, we have our contributor, Phil Minot, who is meeting the mistress of Girton College, Susan Smith. And this is a really, really interesting interview, Susie. Well, it's rather lovely, isn't it, to have a few roads named after your legacy to leave behind. How very nice. It is. And that's exactly what's happened to lots of ex-Girtonian women. Many of them have streets and roads named after them in the new area in Cambridge, Eddington. And we hear about some of those women in the story behind them and this is fascinating stuff it is isn't it and here is phil talking to susan smith at swells court i've come to swells court which is in the center of eddington and i've come to find out about a group of people their legacy during their own lifetime improved things and changed the world in many ways but also their legacy continues and they've all got, I guess, two things in common. And to help me unravel this is the mistress of Girton College, Susan Smith. That people we're going to talk about all got a link to Girton College and you only have to walk around Eddington, I think, to see. All of them have buildings or streets in this new complex named after them. Now, I know enough from my history at school that as it's Girton College, suffragettes are going to be mentioned at some point. Uh, Probably, although just uh, on a point of detail there, Girton's founders and members are most often associated with the suffragist movement, which was the movement that thought that uh, weapons of war were less helpful than appeal to letters and arguments. But of course, a lot of the early Girtonians were suffragettes as well. So in a way, they would have been supporters, but they wanted a more peaceful way of changing things for women. Yeah, words Uh, of wisdom. They would have been the women who were known as blue stockings. Oh, they certainly were known as blue stockings in those uh, early days, yeah. Girton's founders were very much involved, all of them, in the campaigns really to include women in all aspects of life, in, in education, uh, in politics, obviously, in the professions. So they were all part of a, a big movement at that time. Yeah. Their weapon would have been education. Yeah, words of and, wisdom is what they said, but uh, education certainly and, part of it. And before we talk about these amazing women... I think it's important to say it's actually not that long ago, is it? I met someone in the States actually not long ago who matriculated in the war years, 1939. Her mother had been a student at the college matriculating somewhere around 1980-1990 and her mother was a member of the college. So I think in that one person I almost was able to touch back through a couple of generations to the start of the whole thing. So it really is almost within living memory the yeah. fact that you know it's two handshakes away at it the is, most yeah. in some it cases. Is, it is. We sat in Swells Court and I think anyone who arrived at Swells Court, which is in the middle of Eddington and one of the first main groups of buildings to be completed here and lived in, you could be forgiven though when you turn up outside that you're actually arriving at a college There's a porter's lodge, there's these beautiful gates, and we're now sitting in one of the two superbly landscaped, contemporary landscape, not your traditional historic core of Cambridge landscape, courtyards. Well, in fact, of course, it is a college because it's all part of Girton now. We've got it on a long lease and we use it mainly for our graduate students. It's a a beautifully designed graduate-specific complex. It's sort of house-like structures all joined together, ensuite rooms, beautiful kitchens few undergraduates here as well, quite a few at the moment, and it's quite just a stone's throw from our main Victorian college site, so we really have got the, the Victorian and the highly contemporary, which is a fantastic mix, I think. It definitely is. I mean, it is a lovely-looking building. It's named Swirls Court. Why? 
It is, and uh, Bertha Swirls, who actually in the college, funnily enough, we know better as Bertha Jeffries. She always called herself Bertha Jeffries, which was her married name. But Bertha Swirls was a, a member of the college for many years. She was a applied mathematician uh, and also a physicist, although she called herself a mathematician. Um, she made some early and I think really quite under-recognised contributions to quantum theory and was a great all-rounder, but also a great specialist in that area. And I think it's absolutely fantastic that this central complex of this new site in Eddington, obviously named after Eddington, is actually named for Bertha Swirls, a fantastic preeminent woman, well ahead of her time, like so many of them at that time. Before we talk about the other women involved in our conversation today, you mentioned that Bertha's research... During her time, did she actually get the full recognition for her work with quantum theory? Um, I think it's quite tricky to say that she did, because obviously it was very early. She worked with Heisenberg uh, in, in, in Germany and was very much on board in those early periods of understanding of, of uncertainty and quantum mechanics. I think looking back, I think we now can see quite clearly where she stood perhaps at the time less so, but also at the time she did work with her husband and their most famous book is by the two of them, Jeffries and Jeffries, or J squared, people often used to call it. So she did get good recognition, but I think looking back, she was an even bigger figure than, than we thought at the time. If we were to leave the confines of Swirls Court and we walked around the Eddington area, within a few years some of the street names are going to be named after other Gertonians who've also influenced the world we live in and I think probably the most famous of those is Emily Davis. That's By most I famous I mean well known. <laughs> she's, certainly very, she's certainly really well known to us and obviously really well known in the, in the women's education movement. She absolutely devoted her life to the campaign for the education generally but the higher education of women and it's thanks to her certainly that Gerton as the first residential institution for the higher education of women in Britain exists at all and also thanks to her uh, that it really carved its slot in the University of Cambridge. So it's absolutely right, I think, that that Emily Davis should be one of the women whose names are inscribed on the landscape here at at Eddington. She held the office you now held, and she was the fourth mistress of Girton? She was the fourth mistress, that's right. I think she was quite resistant to being the mistress, although at that time, being the mistress was rather separate from running the the board, if you like, the, the council, and she always had a pretty firm grip. On the, on the council, on, on the affairs of the college. So I think she really did steer the college through those early days. Although, rather interestingly, I mean, there were other women involved and Barbara Bodichon, who was, you know, completely different person, completely different personality, a sort of bohemian artist, really, was every bit as influential. Personally, I think it's a bit of a shame that Barbara Bodichon's name isn't somewhere around here as well. But maybe with expansion, that may well come. Well, you never know. I mean, there's a list at the moment of 50 names, I think, that I've seen recently of people whose names are going to be inscribed on this landscape. And 17 of them are women. So I think there's a bit, <laughs> there's still a way to go to even it up here. So you never know, Barbara Bodichon may be on that, on that list. Now, another name which is on that list is, yeah. of course, uh, Muriel Bradbrook. Yeah. And she was also another former mistress, wasn't she? That's right. There are, there are three former mistresses uh, whose names are here. Um, Emily Davis is one and Muriel Bradbrook is another. And Mary Cartwright, a mathematician, is the third. Muriel Bradbrook, what was her contribution to re- She was a specialist in English and uh, English uh, criticism and she made her mark in a variety of areas. But I think one of the most 
well, there are many interesting things about Muriel Bradbrook for the college, but one of the things that most intrigues me is she was also fantastically absorbed by poetry, and poetry has become one of the kind of hallmarks of the work we do in college. It's one of our big things alongside one or two of the other arts. So I think it's fantastic that, that she, she was also part of that huge sensibility to poetry that we've got at the college. And another person you just mentioned, of course, was Mary Cartwright. Now, I would imagine that's probably the one person on our current list of street names of Gertonian connections that there may well be people alive who still have a connection and can remember her? She was a, a fellow uh, right until 1998. She was one of the longest-serving fellows in the college, actually. Interestingly, she wasn't a Gerson alumna herself. She was actually one of the first women. I think uh, she might have been the first woman to get a maths degree from Oxford University. So she actually managed to get a degree rather a long while before the women of Cambridge were. So she did a lot of firsts in maths. Under the circumstances, we can forgive her the fact it was Oxford. Yeah, we can. Well, I'm, a, I'm an Oxford graduate as well, so I think we've got to allow that there's some, <laughs> some floating across to Cambridge. But like a lot of the people whose names are in this landscape, she was a, a woman who beat a pathway. So, you know, she was the first woman to get a maths degree. She was the first woman mathematician elected to the Royal Society. She was the first woman on the Council of the Royal Society. Joan Robinson, who's also on the list. Now, it's interesting, we have a Robinson way already in Cambridge, yeah. so presumably she'll be called street or road or something who knows we wait to find out i find her quite interesting because she was very aware about the cause of poverty and unemployment on people and she was in a way i wouldn't say ahead of her time but she was certainly not a lone voice but there weren't many people focusing on it at that time were there yeah i mean jen robinson's a quite an interesting woman in many many uh, respects and one of the things i noted when i did my review of the names inscribed on the eddington landscape was uh, notice that there were a lot of nobel prize winners of course until relatively recently there's not been very good gender balance in Nobel prizes either and Joan Robinson you could argue is the one OG who came closest and many people think that she should have got the prize for economics and she didn't get that in fact the first woman was much much later so she was an absolutely inspired economist she was uh, quite radical quite heterodox and very controversial at the time but she certainly had um, huge vision and was a progressive radical, as you've said. And what I find as an unacademic interesting is the fact that some of these, these women, their research is actually still referred to today. Yeah, absolutely. And is used yes, as a yeah. basis for research yeah. for other projects. Yeah, a, lo a lot of them, their research is uh, explicitly referred to today, and a lot of them made a huge difference that people really don't know much about today. That's one of the things that strikes me most about some of the early women pioneers in different areas of higher education, different areas of knowledge, scientists. They made a huge difference, and sometimes we don't even realise that. We did mention the opening of this feature. I mentioned blue stockings. Yeah, you did, and yeah. perhaps we should explain what a blue stocking was and who would have been called one. Well, any, any woman who chose higher education would certainly have been thought of as a blue stocking, somebody who gave up everything gave up marriage, gave up their place in the normal domestic world uh, in order to get an education. Do you think it would be a fair assumption that the next person we're going to chat about, Charlotte Angus Scott, do you think she probably would have been called a blue stocking to I'm, her face? Oh, I don't really know what, they, what people said to their face. I expect so. I imagine, I, I imagine so. But uh, of the eight women that we're talking about, interestingly, five of them 
uh, mathematicians of, of different kinds, and Charlotte Anger Scott was certainly uh, one of those. Was there a reason for that? Was it more acceptable for a, if, a, if a woman wanted to study that actually math, you know, it was more acceptable to be a mathematician maybe than something biology related? Well, that's an interesting question because, of course, quite often the, the stereotype is that women do better as scientists or have got on more in the biological sciences. So that's tricky. But, I mean, obviously, medicine was very much denied to women in those early days, so that wasn't a, a great pathway. I think maths is just a very broad subject. So some of the, you know, Hertha Ayrton, for example, who we may talk about, she's known as, a, as an engineer, but she started off doing maths, so it might just have been a gateway. Just referring back to Charlotte, it was interesting because she was the first female wrangler yep. of mathematicians, which yep. I understand is yep. where you get a high, re- you get a, 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 a good result. Class, a first class result in maths. And, and you, uh, I think, I, I'm not absolutely sure, she might have been the eighth wrangler, but I'm not, I can't be I, sure. I think in her year she was the she eighth. Was, and, yeah. and what I find interesting yeah. at the time there is, um, it's actually on Girton College, has got a fantastic website and I, yeah. I was reading about it. And what was interesting, the story, two things really, the fact that she was the eighth and there was a ceremony where they would have read people's names out as uh, Wrangler 1, Wrangler 2. Yeah, that's the uh, order of the um, classes. But when they got so, to hers, they, yeah. they didn't actually want her to have it, did they? The, no, the establishment. Right, yeah. But when it came to reading out a Wrangler, the rest of the students started to shout her name out. Yeah, yeah. that's right. In the early days, of course, women... Uh, at this time, were not allowed to take degrees from the university, so they could study and do all of the work uh, and pass the exams, but they weren't allowed to have their degrees. So in the reading out, as uh, has done, been done until very, very recently, actually, of the Wranglers in order, so these are the people who got their first-class marks uh, in, in the order from first to whatever, in the reading out, because the women weren't going to be allowed to get their degree, neither were they allowed to appear in the class list. So they were missed out, and there was a huge campaign to include them, and they were included. What I also find interesting about that, because it's sometimes, obviously, why? Because there's there's more important issues being talked about. But there were a lot of males who were actually supporting the women, wasn't they? But they just weren't in the positions of influence? They weren't in the positions of influence. I mean, some of them were influential, but they weren't the majority. Um, for, For a long while, they weren't the majority. Certainly not the majority of those eligible to vote. That's why we had this big event in, in 1897, you remember, where there was a big vote and people came from far and wide, or I should say men came from far and wide, and voted against women's inclusions. And it was a, just a massive event. And uh, there's a whole play called Blue Stockings written about that event. Uh, and I was lucky enough to see some highlights from that the other week. It's a fascinating story and I just hope there's a way at some point that can have a wider audience. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, the playwright Jessica Swirl is becoming very well known. It was her first full-length uh, drama, and so we're really pleased to be the subject of it. Girton is the set. And actually, I'm very much hoping when we celebrate our 150th uh, anniversary, I'm hoping that we'll be able to have a production of that as, as part of it. It is a, a quality production, so I would suggest to listeners, if you, you keep your eyes out peeled and uh, keep checking the Girton College website, there may be a way that you'll be able to get access to view it. It's, it's a fantastic production. I'm going to fast forward to today... And what would be our observations about how much their efforts and campaigning and equal rights, has it progressed at the speed they expected or would they be unimpressed? Yeah, that, that's a really tricky question because getting under the skin of these women is something that I, I do spend a bit of my time trying to do and there's all kinds of things about them that really impress me. One of the things that impress me about them is how wide-ranging they are. You know, like I, I spoke about our, our mathematicians, our five mathematicians in the landscape. Quite a few of them were also passionate 
musicians, for example, and have left their legacy on the college, both as well as a good example, left their legacy on the college equally in music uh, as they have in, in maths. So I think they would have certainly liked the way the college has gone, which is to try to make sure that a fine first-class, world-class degree is also about all-round personal development and immersion in a whole variety of areas. A lot of them had a social conscience. A lot of them were absolutely committed, not just to women's issues, but to issues of poverty and inequality and an ethic of care. Barbara Bodichon, whose name actually, I, I hope, will one day be on this landscape. When she went on her honeymoon, apparently she and her husband had first-class tickets to sail to America, which they traded in for third-class tickets so they could give the difference to a woman who had appealed for them for help. And so a lot of them really were philanthropists in the very best sense of the world, and I think they would also like uh, the kind of ethic of care that our college today has. In terms of women's advancement, I think in some ways they'd be surprised, and in other ways I think they'd be shocked. I think they'd probably, some of them, be absolutely shocked that by now there were more women in higher positions in universities across the country, for example, that, that in science, women are still underrepresented. I think they might be shocked. And, of course, you mentioned mathematicians, and one of the mathematicians, Pat's got a bit more time to, we could chat about is uh, Lucy Slatter. She linked the town and gown in the fact that she ended up living in this part of Cambridge, off Oxford Road, in Huntington Road. She became an esteemed local historian. But not only that, she is buried in the churchyard of the Church of Ascension, which is just literally yeah, that's true. 200, 200 metres docu- from where we are. She documented that whole graveyard, didn't she, which was another interesting thing. Actually, a lot of them did live locally and were very much involved. Uh, you know, Bertha Swells used to have apparently apple-picking parties and things like that. But, but Lucy Slater, in terms of her academic work, I found it quite hard to, to find out a lot of things about her. And I guess she is memorialised here, if you like, in the landscape uh, because of her wider connections. But I did discover, which I thought was interesting, that she did play a major part in developing modern computer operating systems and in developing computer programmes for econometrics. So I think she and uh, Joan Robinson would have probably been quite opposed on that kind of issue because Joan Robinson had little tolerance for econometrics. But obviously Lucy Slater was very much involved in, in that and I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. You know, no, my understanding was that she was involved yeah. in what's considered like yeah. the first computer here in Cambridge. Yeah, well, uh, so, I mean, yeah. that's amazing yeah. and no doubt yeah. a, a chap would have taken... Yeah, I'm going to say, so it could just be that I don't know enough about her. But actually, you know, maybe she's just not as much in the public eye as she should be. On a a personal level, how important do you think it is that we use street names to remember people and it isn't part of our everyday sort of life? Yeah, I mean, the question of whether you should do that, I think, is is probably a long-running one. But the fact is that for for such a long time, it has been traditional to do that. And I I did find a little bit of work that had been done looking at the street names in the big cities like London and Paris, uh, San Francisco. And it seems that of all of the streets named after anyone, only just over a quarter are named after women. And uh, the group that did this looked to more closely at somewhere like Paris and found that, you know, on the whole, the women had the little connecting streets and, the, you know, the men had the big, long avenues. And so I think, you know, that's just not right, is it, that people wandering around these cities should get the impression that it's the men who have done all of the major things when we know that's not the case. So whether it's a good thing or not, I think, to name streets and buildings after people, I do think if you're going to do it, we do need a bit more balance there. So it is so great to see so many women.
And that was Susan Smith talking to Phil Minot. She is the mistress of Girton College.